business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Hi, everyone. This is Walt Bayless from the Business and People podcast. Today, we have an unbelievable special guest. She is a Harvard graduate. She now sits uh, on the board of directors of Harvard. She is the founder of Ultimator, which was bought out by Profit in 2015. She's the best-selling author of six books globally, including Groundswell. And she is an amazing human who talks about disruption in the social media environment and in the digital age that we live in. She talks on stages all around the world and has literally just got off the plane right now. And I'm just thrilled and honored to have with me on the show, none other than Charlene Lee. Charlene, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, it's, it's incredible to have the opportunity to speak with you, Shelley. You have, just looking at your bio, is, is like reading like the best, best of the best, the who's of the who. It's an incredible story. How did this all come together for you? Um, I kind of fell into it. I, I thought I'd become a, a, an analyst, a, a, um, a technology and business analyst for a couple of years so I could raise my kids. And it just kept going on and on. And all of a sudden I turned around, I was like, Eight years had gone by. Like, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, and so I decided to just kind of keep things fresh. I wrote a book because nice. I was curious about this whole social media space. I thought it was going to be pretty big. Uh, <laughs> so back in 2008, I wrote a book called Groundswell, my first book, and did really, really well. And after that, I decided to go start my own company, Ultimeter, and then um, kept writing books and then sold it in 2015. And now I continue to be an analyst at Ultimeter. Uh, and am speaking, just wrote another book, um, starting to invest and serve on boards and have what would call, I, I would call a portfolio career. Wow. So that's so impressive. Yeah. So I, I've noticed that you've, you've, uh, been featured as a TEDx TED speaker. You've spoken to IBM, to Boast, to, to some incredible companies around the world, Oracle. I think you were leading the keynote there with Oracle. Like, I mean, the, the opportunity to move from the analyst role into now, as you said, a portfolio career. Did that happen because of the books, because of, of being the author? It, it was very much because of the books. Uh, I mean, a lot of people write books in order to get speaking because it's hard to make money just on books. Uh, but I, I think I never wrote a book to get more speaking. I always wrote, wrote a book to um, answer a question I was curious about that I mm-hmm. thought could potentially help other people. And along the way, if you're helping a lot of people, then people want more of it. So I, I think the speaking was one way that I found to be really compelling and I really enjoy it um, to be able to move people from one place to another in less than an hour yeah. is something that I, I really enjoy. I love creating that aha moment in people's lives. Very cool. Super cool. And you're obviously affecting a lot of people. You've got more than a quarter of a million followers on LinkedIn and were, were invited to be a LinkedIn influencer. I mean, does it does it astound you sometimes that your message that that you're sharing has is reaching and influencing so many people? You know, I, w- I was just in Sao Paulo, and this one person came up to me. He goes, "Your first book, Groundswell, made a huge difference in my life. I am where I am because of that book." Wow! And you know, I, I'm just humbled by that. I mean, yeah. I never sent out the book to you know really change people's lives, but for people to come up to me and say. Wow, this this is really your books have really moved me. Your work really makes a difference, and it it is um, an incredible honor, honestly, to think that it makes that difference. And it's a huge motivator to keep going and keep digging, looking for those stories and ideas for people. 
Do you find, are, are you still uh, engaged in that research onto the next book? I know your, your latest book, which is The Disruption Mindset, are you, are you constantly uh, looking, analysing with your, with your past? Are you looking for the next topic? Are you just oh, an interested totally. person? I, you know, the hardest part about writing a book is when your editor says, no more changes. Right. Like, but, but, no, but I've got so much. <laughs> and so even now, as I've been, because I finished the book in the beginning of April, and since then I've been writing and researching. I'm like, wait, there are all these other things. For example, one person asked me, um, what are the three questions I need to ask? And I'm like, that's a great question. What are the three questions you need to ask? And I'm like, okay, these are the three questions. Wow. And like, but it's not in the book, <laughs> you know? So right, it's, a, it's like the forward <laughs> for the next one. Okay. Yeah. You so can see I, that I, I, and yet it's the conversations I have about the, the current work that I do and the past work that I've done that really spur my curiosity. Like, okay, what else is out there? What, what are the other questions to be asking? Nice. So a, a big question I'm looking at right now is, you know, we talk about digital transformation, but it, there, by some estimates, only 8%, 8% of companies are successful at this. Wow. So why is it so hard? What are the reasons why it's not working? And I think a lot of it is because we talk about digital transformation at this sort of executive level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the people who actually have to operationalize it, the people who are the, in the trenches, the managers doing operations every day, they go like, I'm not going to go do that. Yeah. Now, like, how do you... Reach, where I am, yeah. Right? It's consultant and executive speak on one side and the people who actually do the work on the other side and the two just do not meet. This is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I, I can't stop what I'm doing today to transform. I noticed yeah. that with, with your latest article that you wrote, which was uh, the report in, in um, com- digital communication being adopted throughout an organisation, and, and your report actually, the, the baseline of that was that everybody thinks it's a good idea, but it gets lost in the middle where there's no kind of uh, transition from the executive team to the, to, to the workers at the front line being able to change their communication channels to work in a different way. And are you finding that not just with digital communication but with so many other things as well? Everything. I mean, again, you think about it as the permafrost, the frozen middle, mm. that's what some people call it. Um, but they have no reason to change. They, we haven't been very successful at explaining to them what's in it for you yeah. to go through these changes, to adopt these new behaviors, to use these new technologies. And we just say, just do it without really involving them in that process. And so in some ways, I think the companies who have been successful at doing this, and this is the, the research I want to do now, is they actually go slow to go fast. Okay. They slow way down. They slow mm-hmm. way, way down and, and are able to do that. Yeah. Now, Charlene, one of the things that, as I look at what you've done, the, the word that jumps out at me the most, in addition to digital, is the word disruption. Why has that been such a fascination for you? Because I think we all want digital and innovation to be easy. Yep. We want somebody to give us a nice, big, fat, easy button, press it, and then, whoa, it's done. Everything right? happens, yeah. Surely and, that can happen. <laughs> and, and, and I just went, you know, no, 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 no how do we think about disruption as a normal state and how do we actually thrive with it? Mm. We see some people, some organizations, they seemingly just kind of float through all this disruption and they were able to deal with it. They were adopting to it. They kind of run towards it rather than shy away from it. What is it? How do they do this? Yeah. What's it, what is it that they drink every morning? I want some of that. Yeah. And when I go and talk to them, they're like, oh, no, it's awful. I mean, they're just, just, they're just as disrupted as we are. Yeah, you know? yeah. But at the same time, they have a different way of thinking. So, so they, they I, embrace it. But even though they hate it, they're chasing it. 
you know what? Disruption is just hard. It, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I wish it was a magic wand. I wish it was a fairy godmother who could yeah. make it all easy. And, and I think the reality is let's have an honest conversation about growth, mm-hmm. about change, and, but really about growth. Because I, I think that we've been thinking about disruption backwards. We look, we're looking for some magic bullet, some magic technology mm-hmm. that's going to make disruptive growth easy. Like, oh, that's the answer. We just do that and we're done. Yeah. We just reality, disrupt- it's not. It's not. Growth is disruptive. If you want to grow exponentially faster and better than everyone else, if you want to drive higher growth and, and greater impact, it is going to be hard. It is going to be painful. It is going to be disruptive. There's no way around it. Growth is hard. Mm. And for us to keep fooling ourselves to think that growth is going to be easy is not, again, being ha- having an intellectually high integrity conversation about this. Yeah. So I, I feel very strongly that um, let's think about disruption in a very direct and honest way. Have a great conversation about this to say, you know, we know what we have to do to grow 2x. I talk to most executives and ask them, what would it take for you to grow twice as much next year as you did this year? What would you do differently? And he goes, oh, and they all go, oh, well, let me tell you, we do these like five things differently. I know exactly what we would do. And I'm like, why don't you do it then? They go, because it would be incredibly hard. You probably miss our mark. It'd be just highly disruptive. And they realize they're talking to them like, oh, that's a stupid reason to not do it. They're like, they're, they're talking they themselves do. out of 2x growth because it's going to be difficult. Like, so, so you're literally concentrating on saying, look, this growth is going to be difficult. So either do it or die. Mm-hmm. And they also say, even if we were to try to do 2x, we probably wouldn't hit it. We probably hit like 50, 60% of probably that. Done it. And I'm like, isn't 150% better than 100%? Uh, wouldn't that be um, a yes from me? I would be thinking that for sure. Yeah, so, this is not the way they think about things anymore. How do you, how do you find that most, um, most let, let's say most disruptive thinkers, how do you find that they process things differently than other people? How, how do they change the way they look at something and make it into a, a future plan rather than is, most of us a, who look at it and it see status quo? one simple thing that disruptors do. They think about the future and they think about a future customer. Mm. And because they have such a clear idea of who that future customer is, they will make the investments today, make the sacrifices today, um, hire the people, dedicate the resources to go after that future customer. They're going to still focus on the current customers but they're willing to take on these unprofitable customers because they know that's where the, the, the growth is going to be. Mm. This is why startups have a huge advantage. Startups don't have a current customer yeah. to worry about. They have nothing. They have nothing. So they go after the only thing that they can, which is the future customer. Mm. And the minute they get a current, they get a customer, they fall into the same trap as every other incumbent. As how is the solution a- there? Like, what, how do you solve that? You, you have to be constantly training yourself saying, I love my current customers. Love you guys. Love that you're profitable. I'm going to take that profits and invest it in the future. Mm. Constantly. Because you know that the current customer is not necessarily your future customer. It might be, but chances are they aren't. Yeah. Interesting. They're absolutely convinced that something's out there. So I go around and I ask people to show me the strategic plans. Most people show me a 12-month budget. Right, sure. This is how much we're going to spend. Not a strategic plan. Tell me the difference, Charlene. And so, when you have a strategic plan, it says, "I know where I want to be three years from now, and here are the steps I'm going to take today 
to reach that plan, that goal three years from now. Mm. And the most forward-thinking companies always have a plan, three, five, 10 years out into the future, and they're executing on that plan. Non-disruptive companies have a 12-month budget, and it's just to the end of the current year. Yeah, yeah. They work on the next plan in the last three months of the previous. And so you can't make any long-term investments because your point of view is only within the next 12 months or shorter. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a budget a is not a strategy. A yeah. budget is not a strategy. It's almost like a report afterwards, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's it's looking backwards. I, I talk about how you have to have your customers and especially your future customers in your dashboards. And so if you are thinking about all the things you have to do operationally to make sure execution happens, a lot of the operating metrics we have are backward looking. They tell you how you have done. Mm. They don't tell you how you're going to do in the future. Wow. So you need a good balance. But I find, I ask people, show me your future plan. Tell me who your future customer is. Show me your dashboards. And then the fourth thing I do is I tell me if, how many of your meetings start on time. <laughs> well, tell me about that one. Because I think the most um, disruptive, organ, um, disruptive organizations are also the most ordered, most organized, have the greatest amount of process. Wow. They get work done. And because they execute on work so well, they just, it just operate really well they don't have to focus on those things. So they can spend all of their time, all of their energy focusing on that future. Wow. And if you think about it, most companies don't have the discipline of even having good meetings. Their calendars are packed with meetings. Most executives are calendared all the way to the end of the day Mm -hmm. in 15-minute increments. So when do they have time to sit back and think about the future? When do Mm -hmm. they have time to think and do work? And the higher up you are in the organization, the more time you have to set aside and close off so you can think about and work on these future plans. Wow. Because if you don't, then who will? How do you, um, uh, I, I pause there for a second because I'm just letting that sink in. How do you answer somebody who finds themselves a victim of disruption? In other words, we've always done it this way and we've been successful. Uh-oh, now we're being taken over by the startup, the, 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 the person that we didn't even see coming. I'm sure as we look globally, Shalene, there are businesses right now that are going, oh, my God, we are getting absolutely done over by a company that we didn't even pay credit to six months ago. How do you address an executive team who find themselves in that struggling situation? I, I would say some of them are like that. Most of them are like, I can see this coming on the horizon. I can see it like a truck barreling towards me. What do I do? Right. But they're not quite there yet. They mm. still have profits. They still have options. They still have cash. When you have cash, because cash is king, you have options. The question becomes, if you can see this big, huge semi-truck coming at you, what are you going to do to prepare for that? Mm. Are you going to milk your profits or are you going to take those profits and invest them in a future direction? And the hard part is if you've never, and if you haven't done this on a routine basis, which is think strategically, think into the future, make these sacrifices, it's really hard to do. Yeah, definitely, because you've always done it this way. Yeah. And so the only fighting chance is to move into that transition as quickly as you can, Mm. um, get people on board and go into a mode, a fighting mode that says, who are our future customers going to be? Instead of being defensive, be offensive, be on the offense. And say, how can we create that growth? How can we find new customers? Where are they going to be? And be ready to make the pivots that you're going to have to make. Make the investments in the short term. I talked to one CEO once, and 
And he was like, you know, this is my, my industry is being so disrupted. Um, what do I tell my board? And I said, you got to tell them the truth. You know, this is a dying industry. We cannot maintain the profits. We're going to have a t- take a profit hit, not pay out dividends and invest that in the future. He goes, they will never accept that. And I said, then you're going to lose the company. That's exactly what he did. So he said, I may as well sell the company to the highest bidder that I can and get out while I can. And, and has he done and so? He got, out. he got out. Wow. So it's either, it's either get hit by the semi-trailer, uh, which is, you know, get wiped out down to nothing, or uh, move into the next lane, which is invest what you've got now into what you think. And you're going to be taken over, but hopefully you can get some ground back as the time goes. Yeah, hopefully you can find another person who, doesn't, who, who thinks that these profits are going to continue. Hopefully you can get somebody who's hopeful enough and maybe not so um, open to seeing the potential coming, this threat coming in and, and get mm. a sucker to buy your business before it gets. Wow. Yeah. And then like terrible phraseology, but yeah, absolutely right. So um, in terms of, in terms of advice from, from you to, to anybody that finds themselves in that situation, it's start now, no matter if you find yourself behind, Start now. Think about that future customer. How are you going to attract them? Who are, they, who are you going to need to be to be attractive to them? And just start working that environment, even though you're going to be behind. Yeah, I, I just spoke to, yeah I just spoke to a bunch of family businesses um, yesterday. And you know, these are traditional, big, large industry you know, family businesses. And they're very traditional because we've done this way for three generations. Yeah. We're not going to do it way, you know. Uh, and... The young people in the company are like, how do I get my grandfather <laughs> to listen to me? Right. Um, and what you can't, it's less about talking about the methods as it is showing them where this future customer is, yeah. talking about who they are, going out and getting data and evidence. Because if you go just by hearsay, like this is the way we've always done it. Okay. Can you give us evidence that always doing it this way is going to continue to be the way. What evidence can you bring, grandfather? I'm going to bring evidence to you. I'm going to bring you data and yep, those yep. interviews with people. And if you convince them, it's like this is not about doing things the best way or not. This is about where the market is moving to. If you can help them understand that this is a better way to serve an unmet need in the marketplace, see it as an opportunity rather than a changing from the past. It's about building on the past and moving into the future. That's a much better way to be moving than I see actually things happening. Yeah, and and in fact, losing that uh, losing that generational business as the young people are just you know flocking to their own startups, etc. Charlene, I, I would imagine having the reputation and the role that you have, sitting on the board of directors that you sit on, and and being the public speaker and figure that you are, you would have a lot of people coming to you asking for advice. They would be saying, Charlene. I've just started my business. Um, I'm struggling to find customers, you know, all of that kind of thing. Do you, do you welcome that or do you kind of try and push that away when you're, when you're out and about? Uh, when I'm at my, um, my speaking engagements, I always put up my contact information. Okay. And I, I say to people, I put this up because I want to hear from you. Wow. I want to awesome. hear how you're doing. I want to connect with you. I can't guarantee that I can give you all advice. But I, I do want to hear about what's working for you, what's not, because this is how I learn and produce more research. Nice. And people are really respectful. They reach out, they say thank you. Every once in a while, they um, you know say to me, "Hey, you know, could I ask you out for coffee?" And I usually have to say, "I can't," but do you have a question? I'm happy yeah. to try to answer that question. Like this one person asked me by email, 
I have a meeting next week with my executives. What three questions should I be asking them to, to make sure that we're on the right track for our digital transformation? I go, that's a great, that's a great yeah. You know, great. and so that's how I learn. Otherwise, how would, I, I, I can't sit here in my office at my desk and come up with great ideas. I need to do research. Wow. So that's, that's, that's you that's, looking at your future customers. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so cool, Shailene. That's really cool. Can I ask you then a 60-second challenge? So we've done this with a few of our guests, and, and I'm just fascinated to hear your answers here. So here's the 60-second challenge. You bump into someone, the context is you bump into someone that you haven't seen for 10 years. They've always been an employee at a C-suite level, in an executive role, and they've finally decided now in their, their mid-30s that they're going out on their own. They've, they want to uh, go and start their own thing. They've got this great idea. They do meet, meet up with you for coffee and they say to you, Charlene, I'm just getting started. What advice would you give to that person to make sure that they had the best chances of the next six to 12 months being everything they wanted it to be? It's, a, it's the same question I put to everybody. Really understand who, what the customer problem is that you're trying to solve. Nice. Is it a real problem? Is it a tangible problem? Is it, is it the problem that you think is there or is it something even deeper than that? Mm. That you that first problem that you identified, that's probably not the right problem. It's probably one, two, three levels down to really understand what that real problem is. Dig mm-hmm. down deeper. Like, why is this a problem? What causes that? And keep asking all those whys. Um, I, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs um, come up with an idea because it's something they see and feel. Yeah. But it's not necessarily a real problem because uh, – it, it's a problem that may be significant in their life, but is it a problem that many people have? Is it a problem that nobody else sees or knows how to address? Um, Uber is a great company, highly disruptive. What was the interesting new technology that they used? There was no new technology. It was location built into the phone. That had been around for a while, but nobody was using it in the way that they were using it to solve a particular problem that they saw could be huge. Mm. Um, and so I like to say to people, you know, think about the problems you could solve. You don't have any good problems. Here's a way to find a problem. Go follow a working parent around for a day. You know what it's like to be a working parent. I do. It's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a complete nightmare. Yeah. Go and solve the problem of a working parent, especially a working mother. And you have a, a ready market that's global. That's a global billions of dollars that you could make. Go solve their problems. And in fact, you know, taking that forward, um, go and solve the problem of the market sector that you're looking for. Like if you've built a business to business app, you're, you're, you're creating something in a, in a, in the manufacturing space, go and fo- follow someone in that space for a day and make sure that your problem is addressing your solution is addressing their problem. I love that. So being at, you know, sitting down with somebody and saying, okay, you're just starting out. Great define the problem that you're solving for your customers to six, seven levels, as many levels deep as you can. And that will, that will give you the best chance of your future success, which I absolutely love. Charlene, knowing what you know now in your career, having followed the path that you followed, what would you do differently? Oh, how many places can I start? <laughs> I think when I started Altimeter, um, I didn't put a, a strong enough um, – two things I didn't focus on and they're not my natural tendencies. And I, one of them I'm much better now at, um, which is really thinking about governance and process, how you're going to make decisions. And, and this is the advice I give to people. When you're starting a business, you get your partners to go, this is great. We're enthusiastic. We're in growth mode. Everything's awesome. Right. 
and you don't talk about the inevitable day when you guys disagree. Mm. There will inevitably come a day when you are at loggerheads with each other. Yep. How are you going to resolve that? How are you going to disagree? And How it's a great time when everybody's happy to talk about that. Yeah, and, and, and you, that's the time to talk about it. And, it, and I, I was really fortunate that I had great partners that when we disagreed, we worked it out. Yeah. <laughs> we worked it out. Um, and so uh, we eventually, but it was, it was not without a lot of pain and agony because we didn't think about this in advance. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, the other thing is I, I really credit some of my other partners. They were much better at this than I was, is really thinking about your culture, about your values and living your culture and values every single day. It tends to be something that you think of as an afterthought. Like, mm-hmm. oh, get around to doing the culture thing sometime. It is the number one thing you have to do. Wow. It's one thing to have your strategy. It's other things like that. But if you do not have a strong culture to be the engine that drives your strategy, you have nothing. Um, and in fact, your strategy will probably change, but your culture has to be strong in order to absorb all those strategy changes. Because you may be going down the path. You think this is a customer problem and yourself. Oh, nope, it's wrong. <laughs> we got to completely shift and pivot. You can't do that unless your culture is strong. How so is it just creating that or mapping that out? Uh, you think about how you want to work. You know, how do you, and I look at it this way, values can be just words on the wall, yeah. or you can actually put, say, how do we use our values? So one of the things that we did at Altimeter, we began our, our team meetings each week by asking people, how do the values come to play? How, did, how, did they, how were they helping you to get through a tough time or decision? And so you don't have to name all of them. It's completely voluntary. But people was like, oh, yeah, you know, I ran into this place where integrity was an issue. You know, I was having problems with somebody and I was really having, I like, just didn't want to talk to them and address them. And I said, you know, I can't have integrity in my relationship with this person unless I tell them how I feel about something. So made me get up and go and have that tough conversation, that wow. tough, honest conversation with someone so that. There was nothing between us. We could be in integrity with each other. So in that, terms of that being a reflection in the culture, it's almost, it's, it's verbalizing it. It's, it's making it formal in terms of this is who we are and the way that we work before we get into strategy to, to really cement that as a core of, of, of what you're doing. Yeah, because I, I, write about, I wrote about this in my book and when I asked people, how did you build culture? It came down to two things. It's beliefs and behaviors. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Mm-hmm. And so your culture is made of a bunch of beliefs and then the behaviors. Your values are just words yep. on the wall. It's yep. what you believe those values mean. And I'll give an example. One company I worked with had the value of respect. And in the beginning, it was about everybody has a voice, so we have to have respect for each other and not be unkind to each other. And over time, it morphed into respect means not disagreeing with each other in public. Well, okay. make, right? it, it, completely different. Yeah. And they were realizing that they couldn't go through the kind of changes and transformations they wanted to unless they addressed that because people would always just kind of keep it inside and not really say what was on, on their mind. So the executives explicitly went out and encouraged and said new things and encouraged new behaviors. So they would begin every meeting saying, everyone's going to voice their opinion about what's really going on. And I encourage you to be completely honest and tell us because we won't know anything. And I respect you for saying this. I want to hear your voice. So they actively had to encourage new behaviors to redefine what the belief of respect meant. 
Wow. So what, is, what do you believe in how you behave? I love that, you know, in, yeah. in terms of how to live the values that you're putting together. That's really cool. Because we all have things in our cult, in our companies that are just kind of wacky. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know why we do that. That's, that's broken. This is holding us back. Yeah, sure. And then I go, so what are you doing to change that? And you go, well, that's just where the culture is. I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. We can begin to act in a different way. We can begin to believe in different things if we don't think that is helping us. I talked to a group of CEOs over the last couple of days, and they said, oh, yeah, my culture, is, it's kind of wacky. And I go, well, what are you doing to change it? And he goes, oh, it's not culture. I can't change it. I'm like, you're the CEO. It's your company. What do you mean you can't change it? If, no, if, if you can't, who can? Like, that's the, the, like, there is nobody else. The buck stops with you. Absolutely. So I I think that culture is one of those things. Um, We all know how important it is, but we don't invest nearly enough time into making and being intentional about the kind of culture we want. If the people who are listening to this get nothing out of it other than that last little bit, Charlene, I will be thrilled. Like investing and defining that culture and being able to move that forward, I think is amazing. Charlene, tell me, I, I, again, I'm so respectful of your time and, and I'm not going to take up too much more of it, so I'll, I'll only keep grilling you for a few more minutes. Um, what, would, what would people find surprising about you? Um, I actually like to jump off of high places. Okay. All right. Is that a risk thing, an adrenaline? What is it? I like the adrenaline. Um, there is a ride at uh, a local amusement park where you go up in the seat about like, you know, 30 stories or whatever it is. And then they just drop you straight down. It's just like, you just get that. I love that. So I would <laughs> go to the amusement parks um, on off hours, like Friday night at six o'clock. Nobody's at the park. And so I can just stay on the ride and go on it over and over and over again, like 20 times. And I love that. And I, I was banned from um, jumping, you know, doing skydiving and bungee jumping until my kids grew up because it was just too risky. So I, I made an agreement to my family that I would not do these things. Now, since my kids are aground, I went skydiving for the first time last Whoa. month. I loved it. I had such a great time. I was excited. I was like, I'm going to jump out of the plane at 18,000 feet. So much fun. So cool. That, <laughs> I love the fact that you have the agreement with your family not to do that until the kids have grown and flown so that, you, you know, if I die, the kids are still going to be okay. Like, that's very, very cool. I love it. So, Charlene, being, being in the role that you are in and, and looking uh, forward in terms of um, business and, and things that are happening, what do you see for the future for you? What's, what's coming down the pipeline that you're excited about? Oh, I am excited about writing more books, speaking to more people. Um, but I'm also very passionate about creating a movement of disruptors. Mm. I, I have a new little passion project I have called Quantum Networks. Um, so it's quantum-networks.com. And it, the, the idea is to create a movement of disruptive leaders. Great. Because I believe so strongly that we need to create more change in mm-hmm. this world. Um, there's so many problems that need to be addressed, both not only in our organizations, but also in our communities and societies. And being a disruptor is really hard work. It's a very lonely place to be. Yeah. So I want to connect all these disruptors together so that we can be better disruptors together and support each other. Quantum-networks.com? So, yeah, quantum-networks with an S.com. Nice. I think like, that's seriously really- launching it now. It's kind of a mess. It's, it's really a mess, but that's how it should be, right? Like that's, that's how it should be. Let's just throw it like, together. Oh my goodness, what is it? I mean, I, I announced it about a week and a half ago, and the day I announced it, the site went completely down. I'm like, oh, great. Yep, that's going to happen. I didn't renew my, my security certificates. I'm like, ah, great. Don't worry. Um, about it. So, you know, 
this is one of those things. And of course, people can catch up with you on uh, charlenelee.com, which is uh, where they can find out about your books and, you know, your speaking engagements and that kind of stuff, which is great. Charlene, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to come and, and speak with you, especially regarding disruption and communication within organizations and how to change the way of thinking to make sure that the future uh, customers are, be, are going to be able to come through the door. I, again, I'm so grateful for your time. I know that you just jumped off a plane. Thank you so much for, for sharing and for coming with us. Uh, and I, I so look forward to seeing what you've got coming through. It's, it's really oh, super Thank you exciting. so much for having me on your show. It's great. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Walt. And thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you. And I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there. So you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.